regarding the sutta study, like how to study the text, you know, like uh, should we study the Majjhima Nikaya, Sangyuta Nikaya, or the Visuddhimaga? This was one question. So I would like to elaborate a little bit on that point and also to explain how we can relate the text, you know, the Pali text and the Buddhist text with our practice. So how can we do something very practical and then try to find a relation with the theory and also with the practical aspect? So I will try to develop that uh, tonight. Another point also is that uh, it was mentioned, you know, very often uh, the Pali is the samadhing bhikkavi bhikkhu, samaito. Samaito bhikkavi bhikkhu. Samadhing bhikkavi bhikkhu bhavita samadhing samaito bhikkavi bhikkhu natabhutang pajanati. So this is a point that uh, the, I mean the English translation is uh, uh, bhikkhu develop concentration. If you have concentrate, if you are concentrated, then you will see, you will understand the things as they are. And the third point also that I would like to emphasize is the, the importance of the object in meditation. The object in Pali is Aramana, so I will uh, develop a little bit on those things. about the last uh, century, there was a very famous Sayadaw called the Lady Sayadaw. And uh, he promoted a lot the uh, practice of, of meditation to the lay people, and uh, he did a lot for the propagation of Buddhism in Burma and also abroad. So when he was asked by the yogis or by the people, especially by the lay people, what shall we do when we want to practice meditation? So he answered, what is said in the book is that uh, you should select a couple of discourses in the Majjhima Nikaya or the Sangyutta Nikaya and then learn them correctly and try to understand properly and then practice according to them. Because like uh, the Majjhima Nikaya, for example, is a compilation of texts, you know, and uh, they are about uh, uh, various types of stories depending on the individual, uh, individual persons. And so in that Nikaya, in that uh, collection of discourses, you have about 150 discourses. So it's not necessary to learn all of those uh, discourses, but just to select a few that uh, we feel that uh, can be related to ourselves, and then try to practice according to that. This is what he was saying. And then when it came to uh, the Abhidhamma, he was mentioning that uh, actually the sutta, they are very practical. It's uh, for practice, you know, like they speak about things that are really practical. And uh, regarding the Visuddhimagga, he was saying that uh, that big book, you know, of Visuddhimagga is mostly for intellectual understanding and, you know, more for the uh, keen intellect and those especially who want to be teachers because uh, there in that book the, the, the explanations are very much detailed and they, they go into elaboration and a lot of stories and examples and uh, very, very, very detailed. And regarding the Abhidhamma, he was saying that the uh, Abhidhamma is like university. So it's very high type of teaching. So he was saying most of the time when you want to practice you don't start by going to the university. You start by going to the school. You learn A, B, C, D. You go primary school and then secondary high school and then eventually you reach uh, the level of university. Also he was saying that uh, uh, if you have a small boat, you know the river boat, the boats that are going in the river, so with a small boat, you know a small canoe, it's very risky if you try to go and swim in the deep waters of the ocean. So you know, try to see which boat is according to your uh, potential, according to your capacity. But however, you know, if we look at these uh, uh, activities, the social activities that he did there in, in Burma, it's really amazing. He was a real 
a great social worker. He did a lot, you know, for the people and also for the propagation of uh, all aspects of Buddhism. Like uh, he started many meditation centers and forest monasteries. And also, on top of that, he did an, a type of organization that was there to promote the study of Abhidhamma. So everywhere in Burma, uh, there, was, there were schools and, uh, you know, special groups of uh, teachers and uh, that were going throughout the country and just uh, teaching the Abhidhamma. So nowadays, even now, you know, if we go to Burma, you know, you speak to a plumber, you know, you can ask him uh, questions on Abhidhamma, he will be able to, uh, to answer you. And also, you know, the only school girls, you know, high school or young girls, they can, they know Abhidhamma and they can understand and they can repeat and they know by heart. And so over there, the practice and also the knowledge of Abhidhamma is very much common because because of somebody like the Lady Sarado. So here, if we want to study only the text, it is very difficult to do without a teacher because Abhidhamma is something, you know, a little bit dry. So it is better, like, if you just want to learn the theory, uh, it's advisable that you find a competent teacher. And then just, you know, close by, just down there, you have a study center, and uh, you have a very good teacher named Andrew Wolensky. So you can look and, you know, something like that can be very useful for you. Because if you know the basic Abhidhamma and also a deeper, you know, uh, general understanding of the theory, then you can put it into your practice. So also, I like to mention, you know, the fact, like, uh, to say that it's not an easy matter. So uh, I had a friend in Sri Lanka. He, was, he had been a monk for a long time, and he had been always very interested, you know, at least for decades, to study the Abhidhamma. And where he was living, in his monastery, there were, there were all the books, and everything was able, available for him to learn it. But he told me that whenever he was taking a book, you know, then, you know, not later than five or ten minutes, you will just fall asleep <laughs> because it's so dry and so difficult, you know. So whenever, after that, whenever he had sleeping problems, he would take uh, the Sabinama <laughs> books and very peaceful and very easily he will go back to, <laughs> to his sleep. But I'd like to mention also that that monk, you know, he went to Burma and then he met the Park Sado. And, uh, then he had forgotten about you know, all his knowledge, about his interest in, in, the, in the learning the Abhidhamma. But he was put into the practice. And without knowing where <coughs> or in what he was getting into, you know, in about six months or something, he learned all the practical and also all the, 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 the main aspects of the Abhidhamma. And later on also, he told me that uh, whatever Abhidhamma book, you know, he will pick, then he will understand immediately because he had practiced it. So Abhidhamma is something practical. We can learn it as a theory to base our understanding and also to direct, uh, you know, our practice knowing what is the, the deep framework, what is the deep basis of the, of the Dhamma. But we have to remind ourselves that this is something practical. So when we can combine both the theory and the practice, then this is very good. So another thing I would like to tell you is that uh, like, there are three ways, many ways to handle things, you know, how we approach the things. And I would like to take an example. And, uh, it is like if, you know, the electric toothbrush, you know, the, those new types of things that uh, you, it's electric and you, you, you brush your teeth with that. So suppose you don't know how to use that. You have never used it before, you know. And then somebody gives that kind of uh, mechanic uh, uh, apparel to you. How are you going to proceed to use the thing? So we can say there are... Uh, three approaches. The first approach is that uh, you open the box and then you take out the instruction manual. Then you, re you read the instruction manual very carefully and then 
You know, you try to understand what it means, and you ask your friends about it, oh yes, is it like this, is it like that, you know? Uh, and then eventually, you do it, and then you brush with it with the, with the thing, and it's fine. So that's the first uh, approach. The second approach is that uh, you take the instruction manual, then you read it very carefully, then you ask one of your friends who has already, you know, those uh, electric toothbrush and has been using it for some time, you ask him, do you do like this, and then like that, and then, you know, and then all kinds of questions relating to the use of the electric toothbrush. Then you know a little bit more, you know. Then it's not enough. Then you go to your family doctor, and then you ask doctor, is it really good, you know, is it beneficial, is it uh, better than a normal toothbrush? And, so then the doctor tells you his experience, yeah, like this, and, that, and then you, know, you have another point of view, you know, the point of view of a professional. So that's very good. So then you come back at your, at your place, and uh, you take your manual of instructions, and then you learn it by art, you know, very well. <laughs> and what you do? You put the box in the corner, and uh, you never use the toothbrush. <laughs> that's another way. A third way is that you get the toothbrush, you open the box, then you see the electric plug, you plug the thing in the, in the electric socket, you take the toothbrush, you push on the button, and then it goes like this, and then you brush your teeth. That's fine. So it's very practical. You don't need to, to fuss around to try to understand how it works. You understand it by the practice. So now, what we will do, we will try to relate the experience of meditation, the experience that we are, you know, everyone is having, we will try to relate that with the text, with the Pali text. And for this, we will take the reference of the Bhaya Bhaya Sutta, you know, the Majjhima Nikaya number four. And the English translation of that Sutta is fear, and dread. So before we start, I will ask you to try to remember an event when you were caught in a very strong emotion, like when you were caught in fear or anger. Or, so try to remind yourself, you know, how you felt at that time. This is not to frighten you again, but just to understand how it works. So try to remember something that had been a little bit frightful to you, how you felt. We are talking about experience, no? So, now that we have a small idea about that type of experience, we will suggest a few tools for analyzing. First, we have the mental condition, the uncontrollable emotion of fear or anger towards the object of attention. This is the emotion. This is one thing. The second thing, we have the object on which, towards which the mind is creating and the, the mind is interpreting the, that experience. It's a direct experience interpreted by the mind. So we have an, the object of the fear. And the third, uh, aspect is the body manifestation, how we felt physically at that moment. Either we want to run away, being too afraid, or we react violently and just try to attack the, the offender. Oh. Another possibility is that we get completely paralyzed. You know, we cannot do anything. We are frozen. And then the legs are trembling, and all the body is uh, just shaking. 
So this is the body manifestation of the fearful experience. So first we have the mental conditions, the fear, then we have the object from which the fear arose, and the, the third thing is the body uh, manifestation. So now I would like to relate uh, a story that I heard recently that can be according to that. And it's a, a young mother, I was told, you know. So that young mother, she had a daughter of about 16 or 17. And then the daughter, she asked, oh, mom, you know, now I want to invite my school friends for a party tonight, you know, at the house. Can I do? And then the mother, of course, she said, yes, you do. Invite your friends and do as you like, you know. I trust you. So that evening, all the friends of the girl came at, at the house, and everything was, uh, you know, the music and everything. And then the mother was on the second floor, and then she was not saying anything, but she was there, you know. And uh, down there, everything was going on, the music and the party, and uh, it seems that they had a lot of fun and a lot of noise and uh, smoke everywhere, and, uh, you know, it seems to have been uh, really enjoy enjoyable. So at about uh, 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, you know, Mother is mother, no? They cannot, they, they cannot stop worrying. So at about that time, she said, well, everything is fine, but I think I will have a beep, you know? I will just go and, ch and check a little bit what is going on. So she went down there, and uh, she went into the bathroom. And what did she see in the bathroom? You know, she looked carefully. She saw some powder close to the sink, some white powder. So she said, uh-huh. So because she was very smart, she took a plastic bag, she put the powder in the plastic bag, and then she said, I'm going to investigate the thing. It's not going to go like that without my uh, noticing of it. So she went back, you know, and then she kept the bag. All the night, she didn't sleep at all. She was thinking, my, mo my daughter now is getting uh, associated with uh, drug addicts or, you know, she is getting involved into all kinds of things and what will happen with her future and uh, maybe she is saying that herself. Or she, all the night she was just worrying, you know, completely out of control, just thinking about that, what will happen to her daughter involved in the, you know, that kind of uh, business. So, of course, in the morning, she went uh, as soon as possible to the police station. She gave the thing to the policeman and she said, here's the fact, this is the, what I found there, you know, and my daughter or somebody close to her, they are using that type of thing, you know, so please investigate and uh, give me your report. So the police officer said, yes, madam, you come back this evening, we'll give you all the, the details of uh, our analysis. So when she came back at about at the end of the day, you know, she came back to the police station and uh, she asked the policeman, so what happened? And then the policeman said to the lady, she said, well, madam, where did you find that powder? Then the lady, she said, well, I found that in the bathroom. And the policeman, he said, yeah, that's the place. This is laundry soap powder. <laughs> So this was only soap powder, you know, that the daughter had been, she had, she had to clean something, you know, and uh, some soap powder was left close to the sink. And uh, the mother, she thought that this was a kind of a narcotic. So this is due to the misinterpretation of something. And that misinterpretation is creating a very strong emotion. So the facts are, how do we understand the whole process of perception of emotions and build up suffering or happiness? And the understanding of the problem start by looking at it. So now we will start with the text 
we will take that text and then try to relate it to uh, our experience. So I don't know if you have read, most of, many of you probably have read that, uh, that sutta, if you want the, you know, the, the correct uh, story, you can read it again, it's, it is in the library. So now I will resume the main points of that uh, sutta. So it is somebody uh, who comes to the Buddha and then he is asking, he says that, uh, oh, the solitude, you know, the going to the forest and uh, practicing meditation in the, by being lonely and uh, in remote uh, jungle places is something very difficult, very hard to endure and uh, not so much enjoyable, you know. And it must rub somebody's mind if the person doesn't have concentration. The Buddha replies that yes, if somebody doesn't have concentration, then the solitude and the loneliness of the forest is just uh, taking somebody's mind away. The person may go crazy. But not only that, he says there that uh, somebody with unpurified uh, verb, unpurified uh, bodily action, that means somebody without a good sila, you know, if you have done things that are not so good and if you are doing things that are not so good, if you find yourself in a lonely place in the forest far away, then uh, because of your mind agitation and your mind impurities, then you will create all kinds of uh, fearful things that are not necessarily related to the reality. So somebody with unpurified body action will find fear by being alone in the forest. So it goes on like that, giving a few uh, other uh, explanation of how fear can arise. Like if somebody doesn't have the purity also of verbal actions, and then also if somebody does not have the purity of mental actions, then, uh, then, then, uh, then the, the, the fear and the dread will be evoked. So also, if somebody is uh, covetous, full of loss, then he will have uh, fear and dread. And uh, if the mind is full of ill will and uh, intention of fate, then he will have the same thing. And the uh, sloth and torpor, the same thing, restlessness, same thing, and then doubt, the same thing. And if, then if somebody is uh, praise himself and disparage others, or somebody that is uh, desirous of gain and honor, or somebody who is lacking energy, lacking mindfulness, and lacking wisdom, then those things are bound to come. But as for the Buddha, he says to the person that for himself, he is purified in body actions, he is purified in the verbal actions, and then uh, mental actions, and then also uh, he is unconvertuous and uh, he is without uh, sloth and torpor and also he is full of metta so he does not have any ill will and uh, he is very energetic and uh, <coughs> he, is, he is peaceful, he is free of doubts and uh, restlessness so uh, he has a few wishes also and he is very energetic he is in Tao, <coughs> he is also possessed of mindfulness and also he is possessed of wisdom. So, because of those things, when he goes to the forest, then he is very happy and uh, he enjoys it very much. So then the Buddha says that uh, before, when he was a bodhisattva, you know, before he became enlightened, then he used to do that as a practice. So he will go to the forest, and then purposely he will look and uh, he will wait for the fear and the dread to appear. So he will just be expecting a kind of a very strong emotion and then just to see what will be his reaction. So at a certain point he thought, uh, why am I always expecting fear and dread, you know? Why instead of expecting the fear and the dread, why don't I face it? So the way he practiced that thing is that uh, when the fear and the dread appear, so whenever he had that strong, even, you know, it can be also applied with the five hindrances. So whenever a very strong emotion 
was coming to him, you know, especially like the fear or the dread, then he will not change his position. So if he was seated, then he will not stand up, he will not walk, he will not lie down. He will just remain there and then just watch the emotion and then uh, just stay and, uh, you know, watch the physical process without uh, interfering, without running away. And so by the body, he will control his body and then he will see, you know, he will see, he will examine the, uh, deeply the emotion itself. The same thing, if he was standing, then he will neither lie down or sit down or walk. He will just remain in the same posture. So you can try sometimes just to remain in the same posture and to see which type of emotions or if you are very disturbed. Or you just, if you stand, you just stand and you say, well, I accept it, I just see it, I try to understand it. And the same thing like he says about the lying posture, then it's the same thing. If he was lying down and then the, the, the emotions of fear will appear, they, he will not do anything, will not change his position, and uh, he will understand the, 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 the fear and the dread. Here I would like to mention something that was told, you know, as a practical aspect by a meditation teacher. He said that sometimes, you know, because the meditation sometimes go very deep, so sometimes he had difficulty to sleep because of the intensity of the practice. Or sometimes also he had difficulty to sleep because of other types of reasons. So when this was happening to him, when he could not sleep, what he will do is that if he was lying down on his bed, he will just be there. And then he was taking a kind of determination not to torture his body, but a determination not to change the position. So if he was lying on his back, then he would just relax his body and just be there. And then the mind will not sleep. The mind will just go full of agitation. And, but he will just relax and just be there and not change his position. And then it will not take time, you know, because he was not worrying about uh, worrying, or he was not fearful <coughs> about the fear, then he was just relaxing, and then the fact of relaxing will bring him, you know, be, uh, will bring him sleep. So he will be able to sleep with, uh, with that thing, and the next morning he will be very fresh because he will not, uh, you know, turn around and uh, all spend his night just, uh, you know, going around and scratching here, scratching there, and uh, he will just, you know, just remain there. So when the Buddha related that story to the, to the man who asked him, then he was telling that uh, actually himself, because he is possessed of wisdom, then he can see things as they are. And then he just mentioned that uh, he can see the day as the day, and he can see the night as the night. Whereas some other people, they are deluded about things and they don't understand, you know, they are mixing up uh, things. and so, but if somebody can be called uh, a, a person of, uh, with the undeluded mind, you know, then this will be of the Buddha, that we could say that. So after that, when he was able to control or to, to, to experience and to face up the, those big emotions, you know, as they are, then only at, at that time, then very strong energy was aroused in him. He was very energetic because his mind was very clear, and then his mind was uh, uh, yeah, clear and uh, energetic. And he was, uh, yeah, he was very mindful, and the body was tranquil. It was untroubled, and the mind was concentrated and unified. So at that time, after that, then they say that he developed you know, the, the four jhana, and then also we develop all the things that uh, we see, you know, in the many suttas, <coughs> the gradual uh, type of uh, explanation that we see with the samatha, you know, practice. They develop the, the four jhana, and then after that, they, uh, they develop the, the power of seeing the past lives. And then the second type of knowledge, this is one type of, uh, you know, they, they call that uh, specific uh, supernatural knowledge. So uh, the second type of knowledge is uh, the knowledge of... Uh, cause and effect, you know, how people appear and disappear, how people are born and reborn according to the according to according to their actions. And then the third type of 
specific knowledge that arose to him is the, the destruction of the taint, Asava Kaya. That is, he realized the Four Noble Truths. That is, he understood suffering as it is. Yata Bhuta, Yata So, at the end, you know, a specific uh, phrase that is mentioned there is that uh, the, the man who asked the Buddha, you know, about those things, he asked him again and he said, well, you know, Buddha, you are an enlightened person. You are fully realized. You are full of wisdom. So, do you still go to the forest? Do you still go into solitude? And then the Buddha said, yeah, I'm still going to the, the forest. I'm still going to the, the, the solitude. So, I do that for two reasons. First, because it's a very peaceful abiding. And then it's a solace. It's, you know, very tranquil. And then for his own benefit, he is having seclusion from time to time. And the second reason he is giving is that uh, it is to give the example to the future generations. So that's a good point, you know. He, is, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need really to be secluded. But he wants to give the, the example to the future generations. That means in life, we have activity. We have life. We are busy with many things, you know. Whether we are monks or whether we are lay people, it's all the same. So activity is life. So we, are, we, are, we need to do some things. But to balance that, we need also to practice meditation. So that's very important, how to balance uh, meditation, how to balance activity and with the contemplation, to be, rest, to be you know, peaceful and then to have a clear mind and just to be by ourselves. So by going to the forest, we can find that type of thing. So in, throughout, throughout the history, if we read poets or even scientific people or even businessmen, you know, we, we read some of them, their biography, and uh, many of them, you know, spiritual people, or, they had a lot of inspiration just by being in the nature. So nature is something very great, and uh, we should be careful about it because now it's, uh, you know, they cut it down. But while we are having the nature, we can appreciate it, and also we can find some kind of uh, inner uh, potentiality for growing in that. So that's very important. And it's very good also that uh, we all have the possibility now to be here for such an uh, amount of time in this very peaceful environment where we have the, you know, the, the fresh air, the trees, and the animals, and we can be quiet and enjoy peace. So we have to remind ourselves of uh, our great opportunity to be here and to practice the meditation as we are doing. So the main point, again, of the sutta, you know, is that uh, it reminds us of the importance of sila, the importance of our life, how we are doing things, you know, how we are behaving and uh, how we are acting and uh, speaking, and also which type of uh, thoughts we are entertaining in our day li daily life. So importance of sila is very important, it is very uh, essential. And the uh, second point also is to know how to face, is to know how to understand the five hindrances. You know, how we are dealing with our hindrances, how can we improve, you know, how can we find a way that uh, seeing that this is not beneficial to us, you know, how can we uh, uh, reduce them so that uh, our mind is uh, uh, clearer and, uh, yeah. So we have seen also that uh, when the mention of all those things, you know, like the sila and the, the five hindrances, the Buddha is talking about uh, the opposite. That is, we have to develop the, the quality of effort, the, the quality of metta, and then the quality of uh, mindfulness, and, uh, so that uh, not only we uh, overcome the five hindrances, but also we have uh, good qualities. And uh, this relates also to balancing and uh, developing the five faculties. The five faculties of sadda, vidya, sati, samadhi, and panya, that is the, you know, those... Uh, uh, basic friends that we have of mindfulness and uh, the effort and the, and the confidence 
and uh, the concentration and the wisdom, we need to balance. We, we need to balance them and get them very strong in ourselves. And the last thing also is whatever we are doing, you know, we should not be afraid of anything. If we are afraid, you know, of something, we should look at it and try to see what is uh, under that so that uh, what we want to do in life, we are able to accomplish it. So that's a big, uh, it's, a, it's a big point, you know, knowing and how to understand our fears. And the practical thing is, as we have explained a little bit last week, is the four posture. Four posture is very gross, you know, it's very gross. But nevertheless, it's a tool that can help us to, um, uh, to, to understand and to face those uh, strong emotions. And I would like to add something, and I will come back to the toothbrush uh, story. So, the third, you remember the third, uh, the, the third person who used a toothbrush, he didn't look at all at the instructions manual, and he just picked it up, plugged it, and tried to uh, brush his teeth. So that person, you know, then he had some concrete result, and then he could brush his teeth, and uh, everything was fine. But after, at a certain point, after a few weeks, you know, he thought, well, what about if I was to look in the instruction manual for user? So he took his box again, and then he looked in the instruction manual, and then he saw, actually, there are many gadgets, you know, and he has not been aware of that. So first of all, he noticed that uh, there are many brushes, not only one brush, but uh, other types of brushes that uh, he could exchange. He had nothing there. <laughs> Another thing that he didn't, he didn't see is that uh, on those uh, toothbrush also, you have another button, and uh, the bu that other button can control, uh, you know, uh, different uh, speed and the different type of uh, pressure and uh, all kinds of things, you know, related to the way you brush your teeth. And also, it can uh, control the, 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 the time that the, those things are, are, are running, you know. And then also there is another button, you know, he is pressing, I don't, I'm not so keen with those things, but anyway, he is, if he is pressing, pressing the buttons in a certain manner, then uh, he will be able to control four modes of uh, the, the toothbrush. So one mode is the uh, cleaning, then the second mode is the uh, uh, soft, Soft, the soft cleaning. Third mode is the uh, massage, and uh, another mode is polish. You know, so uh, so many varieties. So because he read the instruction manual, he was able to understand a little bit better how to use the, the toothbrush in its uh, in its uh, maximum uh, efficiency. So now this is what I'm going to try to do. You know, like if we want to understand a sutta. We have to understand that this is an inheritance of uh, generations of 2,000, more than 2,000 years, you know. So all that inheritance of texts and teachings, how does it maintain itself alive, you know? It maintains itself alive with the basic text, you know, with the Pali text, but also with the teachers. But because teachers are not uh, there forever, they, uh, they, they, they kind of put together the main uh, aspects of the teaching, the practical aspects, you know, and then uh, many teachers, they decided, okay, we, this is how it should be practiced. And then a big uh, formation of the schools of commentaries and a commentarial explanation came together with it. So now we still have the access to those commentaries. So sometimes it can be very interesting because it reveals us not only the tradition, but it reveals us the points that are very common actually to the practice. And we can relate those points also to, uh, to what is called the Abhidhamma. Because the commentary, you know, the commentaries, they explain uh, very often in a very de detailed way. And uh, often also they are using terminology that is uh, Abhidhamma explanation. Now I would I would like you know so don't uh, don't uh, if you like to sleep you can sleep while sitting so I would like to explain a little bit again that sutta and the, for the main points that I found interesting you know and then together with uh, what the commentary says about those things.
So the first thing I that uh, struck me is that uh, when it is said, you know, the last point of uh, I am possessed of, uh, you know, the Buddha says I am possessed of mindfulness, I am, po I am possessed of sila, I am possessed of the, uh, the five faculties, and uh, I am possessed of all those things, you know, the last thing, you know, like uh, in the five uh, faculties, is that I am possessed of wisdom, panya sampanno. So this is what he says. He is not uh, without uh, wisdom. He possesses a wisdom. So in the definition, you know, that uh, that wisdom is related to the Bodhisattva. He was not yet a Buddha. And also that wisdom also is related to prior of his practice of vipassana. So this is a kind of basic wisdom. So what the commentary says about that wisdom is that uh, it, they say that uh, it is the wisdom that can define the nature of its uh, object. And the Pali is Aramana uh, Vavatana Panya. to understand the nature of the object, that is, the object that is coming and uh, giving him fear, or, you know, the object that is coming to his senses, the basic object, he is able to understand the nature of it. So what is the opposite of that, you know? Somebody who has a weak wisdom. So the name is the Dupanya. And the definition of it is that uh, somebody who has weak wisdom cannot define the nature of its object. See, he sees the day as the night, or the night as the day, and then because of that, he is afraid. And because he has unwholesome mind, he trembles, and he fears the insignificant things, and misinterpret them. He sees a, a rope, you know, and then he thinks, he thinks he, it's a snake. Or he sees a tree trunk, and then uh, he thinks uh, it's a, a, an ogre, you know, a yaka, or a bear for years, the wind on the trees, and he thinks it's a ghost. And what about you, you know? If you are you know, one of those nights, you know, to try and uh, go to meditate in the dark there, what will happen? And I don't know, you know, but you, s you don't see anything. And then, I know, you know, suppose there are about uh, two dozens of those turkeys, you know, they come and uh, they walk around you, and, but you don't see anything. <laughs> what, uh, how are you going to interpret them? I'm sure you will be a little bit perspiring and think, oh, wow, I know I am in the Living Dead movie or maybe a Frankenstein type of uh, movie. <laughs> I'm sure you will be experiencing a little bit of uh, uh, fear and dread. So somebody with, uh, you know, with wisdom, he can understand the object of fear. He has a basic discrimination of its nature. So uh, then they say also about somebody who is having mindfulness. So you have two types of mindfulness. So you have the, the mindfulness with the clear understanding and the mindfulness without clear understanding. So this is in Pali, is uh, the Panya Sampayutta and then Panya Vipayutta. And uh, Sampayutta means uh, possess of uh, Sampajanya. This is a strong type of uh, wisdom. And the Vipayutta is the Dubbala, that is a weak type of uh, wisdom. And somebody who is having a model mindfulness cannot define the nature of its object. So now try to follow. What I want to come to is object. So later I will explain what is the meaning of object. How can we uh, use the object as a reference for our meditation? So we have seen that the panya relates the clear understanding of the object. Now we see that the sati also is related with the defining the nature of the object. So the third point is the, yes, about sati again, you know, like uh, mindfulness, they say the definition of it is the turning the mind to the object. 
So also SETI is a strong support for the Samadhi. Then for the concentrated, when he says, you know, in the, at the last, he says, I am possessed of wisdom, I am possessed of uh, mindfulness, and also I am possessed of uh, concentration. So here, for concentration, they say, uh, somebody who doesn't have concentration is called a samaito. So, a samaito, they say that uh, in the Pali, they say that uh, it is vibhante chitta. This is the, the mind, it's a straying mind. It's a mind without concentration and then with agitation. And then they say that uh, the mind is roaming about to many objects. So the mind is going from one object to the other and to many objects, you know, just like a monkey with, uh, you know, holding one branch after the other. It cannot, it cannot hold only one, uh, one object and one branch and, and stay there. So it's the same thing, you know. Uh, with the mind. The mind is just running and always grasping this object and that object. And so there is no concentration. So somebody who doesn't have concentration, it's not possible for him to come of uh, defining, you know, the nature of the object. No, it, it cannot, it cannot do that, ty that type of things. What also, you know, the to relate it again, you know, the samadhi, because I said at the beginning, the, you know, s developed concentration with a concentrated mind, then you can see uh, the things as they are. So the commentary also, you know, like the Vesudhimaga, they give uh, for the, the, the approximate cause of the concent, the approximate cause for the wisdom of Panya is uh, concentration, you know, because when you are concentrated, you can fix the object, and then when you can fix the object, then it's very easy to see it as it is, you know. Even on a superficial level, at least you can look at what is there, you know. You are not looking at something and misinterpreting it. You are looking at the thing, and then you are able, you are able to give a, a type of uh, interpretation. So this point of not being able to determine the object, this is explained by the lack of all those factors, you know, plus uh, the lack of uh, effort and also uh, indulging in the five uh, hindrances. we can relate, you know, that uh, object to the meditation, and also how can we relate it to the, what is called the Yabhidhamma, the deeper type of uh, uh, theoretical or explanation of the practice that the Sayadaw is teaching. This is a very deep uh, uh, teaching, the Yabhidhamma, so how can we enter in that field practically? And one way is by being able to delimit uh, the object. So. In the Abhidhamma, one of the four, 24 conditions that are given, you know, like uh, they give many uh, types of uh, ways to analyze uh, the reality, and one of the ways is uh, by analyzing by way of pachya, uh, by way of conditionality. So one of those 24 conditions is the aramana pachya, the condition by object. So what they call Aramana. So the Pali, you know, they related to the, to the Pali, Alambitabha. So Aramana, it is in the sense of uh, Alambitabha. And that means that which is held or hung upon by the mind. So it's like a hook, you know. So you have a hook and then you hang uh, at or you hang something on that. So the Object relation is like a, uh, the mind is like the hook, and then the object that comes uh, with it 
if this is the this is the automata. And what is the function of that? So the function they say is that the the function of the object is to take hold and attach to the mind. So the pali is alambana. And it's called, it, it, they compare it with a, with a magnet or a lodestone. So the mind is like a magnet, and then the magnet, you know, as soon as it is in contact with iron, then it, it cannot uh, do anything than to attach itself to it. You know, it is just attracting iron all the time. So uh, the mind, when the mind arises, it always arises together with, uh, with an object. So everything can be included in, you know, as a, an object, in, as an aramana. There is not one mind or mental factor does not, that does not arise without uh, its uh, object. And also, like, uh, like uh, they compare it to a weak man, <laughs> you know, that is uh, on the floor, and uh, the way to get up for him is to hang on a stick or on a rope. So it is uh, Pachya, so Adamana Pachya. So Adamana in the sense of uh, held upon or held, and then Pachya in the sense of condition. So also that means uh, that which is assist or renders help. So we have Aramana Patya. So in the discourse, when they call about, uh, you know, the thing that uh, always come back is that uh, Panya, that type of Panya, that type of wisdom is the wisdom that uh, is able to define the object. So the Pali for definition, or the Pali that is used there, is Aramana Vavattana. So the word Vavattana comes from the, the Pali, and then the, 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 the verb is Vavattapeiti. And the English definition of it can be to fix, to settle, to point out, to determine, to designate, or to resolute. Or another way is uh, to define or to analyze. So that's the meaning of Vavatana. So a question that was asked uh, about uh, two weeks ago was that uh, somebody who sees uh, Rupa Kalapa, you know, who has come to the level that uh, he sees everything as Rupa Kalapa and, uh, you know, everything is disintegrating and he's just seeing ultimate reality. So a person like that, how is he going to function in the world? You know, how is he going to relate to uh, the normal reality? So we can see that uh, when somebody is having that type of experience or that type of uh, insight, then he does not lose track of uh, of his basic, uh, you know, of his basic nature of uh, his life, and uh, it, it is just giving him a, a new perspective. It is just like a, we can say, like a surgeon, you know, somebody is a doctor, and uh, all the day the surgeon is working in the operation theater in the hospital, and every day the the, the doctor just see corpse, he is open corpse, and then you know doing operation of patients, and you just see livers and the stomach and all kinds of body parts and brain. And uh, so when he comes back to his house, you know, <laughs> when he relates to his wife and uh, his family, and he does not see a corpse. He doesn't see, you know, a bunch of organs. Okay, now I am at my house, and this is my spouse, and uh, this is my children and all that, you know. So he hasn't, but this doesn't give him the possibility to see beings as a, you know as a physical type of uh, anatomic uh, uh, parts so the same thing with the biologist so a biologist all the day is with his microscopes and uh, he's uh, watching for the microbes and the bacteria and the cells and you know lo looking at very minute thing and then he sees that the body is just composed of uh, microbes and those minute little bit of uh, anatomic uh, atomic uh, particles so the person, when he comes back to, uh, you know, to the life, uh, you know, when he takes the bus or 
when he comes back to his house, then he can relate in a proper way. You know, he just doesn't see uh, you know, masses of uh, of cells and uh, micro, little bit microorganisms. Also, same thing with the chemist. You know, he is dealing all the time with the with the chemistry and the, you know elements and all kinds of things. So when he is relating to uh, to, uh, to reality, he knows how to make a shift. But his uh, science, his way of looking at things, give him another perspective. So we can say also the same thing with the astronomy. You know, those people who study the, the cosmos and they are with uh, huge telescopes and then, then they st study galaxy and it's kind of spacing out. You know, and uh, also we can say like uh, the astronauts. You know, who goes up to the moons and so we can. Take an example, some examples of those astronauts, the first astronauts that went to the moon, you know, like uh, John Glenn and uh, Mitchell. And so those people, when they came back, you've probably read some of their biography. When they came back, he said, they were a completely changed person. Why? They were standing there very far away in space, you know, and then they see that little tiny earth, and they think, well, you have on that earth, you have people fighting for, this is my country, that's my <coughs> country, and uh, they see, you know, human beings part of a planet. Human beings part of uh, <coughs> something, something very common, but also something very small. <coughs> if it is compared to the whole galaxy, you know, if it's compared with the with the, you know, solar system and then compared with uh, other types of planets, so they were able to see that, you know, from very far away. So when they came back, what they did, I know that I have read, you know, some Mitchell, he did, he, he, he gave a lot of money, you know, most of his wealth for scientific research, just, just to improve, you know, the understanding, to improve the science so that the humans become, you know, wiser, so that the humans become uh, more uh, skillful in handling the life, you know, how to deal with the life on the earth. So. Also, I think uh, some of them also they became, uh, you know, social, engaged, and they were doing a lot of uh, good things for the for the people in general because their mind was changed. So when they related again to the world, they had another perspective, and then that other perspective brought a lot of compassion, brought a lot of love, and then brought a lot of uh, concrete actions in the society. So we cannot say that the practice of meditation is go just going to space you out and uh, you are not going to, uh, to be able to relate to the world again. That's not like that. So how to relate object, you know, the object with the sila? It is the same thing. So sila has to do with relating with, uh, you know, not stealing, not killing. And so if somebody says, okay, now I just see Rupakalapas, you know, so I can, I can kill the chicken, it's just uh, Rupakalapas, and I, I am just eating uh, Ara, you know, Oja Kalapa, and then it's nothing, there's no killing, there is nothing there, I'm not there, the chicken is not there, it doesn't exist. No, it's not like that. So we are able to function on a very conventional level, on the aspect of uh, Sila. So we know, you know, an object as it is, but on the level, basic level of uh, practical things, you know, on the con conventional reality. So when we comes to samadhi, you know, so now, I mean, I'm just trying to, uh, to, 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 to keep the, the, the trail, you know. So we are here to, I am I'm trying to, to explain the object, uh, how to define the object, aramana vavatana. So when we look in the commentarial or the practical text, how to do with the samadhi, how do we apply the definition of, of the object in the samadhi? So first, if we look at uh, the definition of vavatana uh, as fixing, you know, we can say that uh, fixing the object for a long time is a quality of samadhi. So when the Aramana Vavatana in the Samadhi is explained, it is explained explain in being able to fix the object and also being able to identify the object, like this is uh, Anapana, or this is Anapana Nimitta, or this is a wild casino, or this is a 
uh, skeleton or this is a beings as an object of the meta. So we are able to identify the object. And then another use of the ratana is to identify, we use that to identify the, the jhana factor. So it is called the anga ratana. So not only we identify the object, but also we identify the, the mind that is having the object as a, a meditation subject, as a kamatana. So when we use the, the term definition of object with the term of panya, at the level of panya, so we have seen we can relate it to sila, we can relate it to samadhi, and then when it comes to panya, to the wisdom, then here it means the wisdom of vipassana. So how do we proceed? So there they say that there are two types of defining, two types of ratana uh, in the panya section. And uh, it is nama ratana and then rupa ratana. And then the rupa ratana is the uh, definition of uh, the matter. And then this is the meditation on the four elements, the chatu, datu ratana, defi defining the four elements. Then also we have the Dhamma Ravatana. So everything, Nama and Rupa, we, we see, and uh, we are able to see their difference. So we, we have on the chart you know, that was given, you know, we have that uh, after the Samadhi section, we have the first type of knowledge is uh, Nama Rupa uh, Pariga. So we are able to define what is the mentality and what is the materiality. And then the second uh, type of knowledge. So this one is a purification of uh, views, you know. And then the second type of uh, purification of uh, of, uh, of doubts is the is that we d not only we are able to define what are the objects of our observation, what are nama and upa, but we are able to define their causality. We see, oh, because of this, that arises. So we make uh, an analysis of the matter of the, of the subject with uh, defining the conditionality, defining the cause and effect. And so this is in the Pachya Pariga Jnana. So it's called the Pachya Vavattana, understanding ori origin and the cause and the causality. Again, an, another, just to finish, you know, another uh, thing that I would like, uh, the other thing I will not go into details because uh, it's too long, but uh, one thing that was mentioned is that about Nama. So we have Nama Rupa. So Nama is a mentality. So it was said that, uh, that uh, the definition of mentality is from the Pali, Namana, and the uh, it is nama in the sense of bending. It is bending. So because of its bending on the object, so we have the object. So you see, there is an object, and then the mind, the mentality, nama, is bending towards <coughs> the object. And what is nama? What is the mind? So, for example, for those of you who are, you know, able to identify some of the jhana factors, then we see that there are there is a vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekagata. So those are only five. So they are called the mental factors. But also you have a you have a list of them, you know, that that, that are coming together with it. And the Sadhu explained a little bit, uh, I think, last week about them. So all of those factors, they are related to the object. And then, if we look at the definition that is that is given, you know, in the in the commentaries, for example, it is vitaka. What is the vitaka? Vitaka is the initial uh, application of the mind on the object. Vichara, it is the continuous application of the mind on the object. So that is, we have the object. For example, the anapana nimitta, or you know, the the kamatana that uh, we are having, and then. The jhana factors, they, they, just, they are just bending, so they are going in relation to the object. So the same thing with the PT. The PT arises because the object is pleasant, you know, the, the object is bringing us, us joy. 
and the sukha also, the pleasant feeling that we are experimenting is because of the, the, the desirable object that we are having. And the cittasa ekagata, the samadhi, you know, the, the one-pointedness of the mind is the one-pointedness of the mind on the object. So the object is very important. So that's why when we are developing samadhi, when we are developing the, the concentration, to make uh, abstraction of the initial object of our application is not going to develop jhana. It's, it's, it will be very difficult to develop you know, deep absorption because for a deep absorption or you know, a quality type of concentration, the object has to be very clear and then the object has to be able, we have to be able to maintain the object for a very long time. So to define the object from the beginning and then to be able to keep our mind very balanced, and then very quiet, and then very attentive to the object is very fundamental. So that's why we are told, you know, okay, now you don't look at the jhana factors, you know, just try to develop that experience of uh, jhana. And then later you look at the jhana factors and then you see like this, you know. So when people develop the jhana, you know, then after that they reflect the jhana factors. So th when they become very clever into doing that, then not only they are able to define the jhana factors together with the object, not only the jhana factors, but all the mental, you know, concomitant that, that is coming as a part of the of the mind. So you have the mind is uh, composed of, of course, those five jhana factors, but all the mental con con uh, the mental factors also coming together with that. So this is the, the principle of abhidhamma. So. We have the object, and then also we have the, the mind that is knowing the object. So this is very basic, but this can open us the door to a very practical understanding of uh, the Abhidhamma. So as a conclusion, I would like to, uh, to summarize by saying that uh, we have seen how to relate our practice to the text. Uh, it's practical. So basically, we are here to practice and then to gain peace and then to gain, to gain clarity of the mind. So we have seen how to relate the practice with the text, and also we have seen how to relate the text to the practice. And also, we have seen how to develop the, you know, the wisdom. And then for how to develop the wisdom is by developing the concentration. And how to develop the concentration is by being clear about uh, the object of observation. So back to our practice, we can carry on our meditation with balance and quality of attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.